Welcome to the teaching ministry of Faith Bible Church. We pray as you listen to the following message, you will be encouraged and equipped to passionately pursue Christ. For more information, please visit our website at fbcevansville.com. All right, so starting out, I need a little bit of feedback. Um, What was it that brought you to Faith Bible Church? Was it a friend or a family member hearing about it from somebody else? You were in from out of town and you stopped in. How did you hear about Faith Bible Church and what, what brought you here? Yes, Warren. I did. I do. Yeah. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Where you were going and Wow. Oh, you didn't come that Sunday? (laughs) (laughs) Wonderful. So Dick and Jan Walters invited you to come, and you you came back when it was at the the school. That's great. Yeah. How else? What other ways did brought you here to Faith Bible Church? Yeah. Okay. And she knew we were looking for a Bible uh, preaching church, and so she recommended Faith Bible. Church. Wow. She yeah. That's Meeting the pastor and spreading the, like, come here. So. She didn't come here. She went somewhere else, but she, but she knew. <laughs> you should go to that church. I don't go there, but you should. So <laughs> That's good. I like that. That's great. Yeah. Anybody else? Anything different? Kathy Snyder invited you. That's great. Yeah, she's your aunt. All right. Yeah, family invite. That's good. All right. Now, here's a tough one. Was there anything when you first started coming here that was uh, a put-off? Things you didn't really like or it was not how you expected things to be? Don't say the Sunday school teacher. That'll be that'll hurt my feelings. It could be. I don't. Yeah. I'm thinking back to the very beginning because that's. I think. I think you are the only one here that was here at the very beginning. Yes. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Yes, you and the Shinnebargers. That's right. Right. Because there was a group of families looking for a church that would teach the truth. Uh huh. They were coming out of churches that had started following error. Right. So that's how it all started. But I would say, not that I was put off by it, but we called ourselves the Rubbermaid Church. Okay. The Rubbermaid Church. Every Sunday we had.
everything up in the Rubbermaid. Oh, yeah. You didn't have an actual physical, or the permanent spot for you to use, yeah. Had to pack things up, unpack. And... We had like a closet they gave us. Oh. Everything had to go in there, so. That's a challenge, for sure. I mean, that's just the way it was, so I didn't think much of it. Yeah. Like someone coming in, maybe, uh -huh. who had never been to a, a, a church that wasn't, didn't yet have their own building. Right. Yeah, that's a challenge for sure. Right, right. So people come to churches for all kinds of reasons. There's all kinds of things that draw people to a church. What kept you guys here? So you come and visit for one reason. Maybe there's some things that don't really, ah, that's not exactly how I want it to be. But then what, what keeps you here or has kept you here? Okay. Ah, oh, you stole my thunder. We're done. <laughs> Expositional preaching. Okay, that's great. That's good. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yes. Okay. Yeah. draws to that. Yeah, that's excellent. That's good. You know, there's all kinds of things that, oh, I've been, we already went through that. Um, you know, there's all kinds of things that draw people to a church. Relationships, I think, is, is pretty regular that I hear a lot. Uh, we live in the age of the internet now. I would say um, that a, a big number of people that have started coming to Faith Bible Church um, the, the two that I hear that the reasons people visit our church are relationships, people say come and visit, and number two is searches on the internet. They're looking for something, and they find that they want to try our church. Now, not everybody that tries our church stays at our church, and, and that's just to be expected, but, but I think that is, those are the two things that are drawing people in. You know, churches can do all kinds of things to draw people into the church. I think some things are good, and some things are a little iffy, but, uh, but I think... Um, what we want to do is, okay, if we're, what, what, if we're looking to bring people to the church, not just 
numbers. You know, the, the goal shouldn't be let's get more and more people in the church just because we want to have big numbers, but we want to bring people in so they can hear the gospel, they can hear, hear the word preached. You know, I, I, you've probably heard my story. Mary Beth and I, um, when we were dating, when we started dating, we were going to two different churches. We got married and we kind of had a, a little bit of a, a struggle trying to figure out which church to go to. I had been at the church uh, that I was attending for like 20 years. Um, that's what, being at that church um, was about the only thing in my life that I could say I had done for that amount of time except for being alive. Uh, because the vast majority of my time uh, being alive was going to that church. Mary Beth had moved here for college. She had started going to that church through college. So uh, we had just kind of went back and forth. Well, I came to the realization that I wanted to attend a church where God's word was uh, the focus, that it was foundational. Um, the, Mary Beth got to that point faster than I did. And um, I, probably as soon as she was attending our church, she was like, we need something different here. But uh, I, because I'd gone to that church for so long, I had so many relationships, so much, so many memories, good memories. Um, my family went there. So it took me a little bit of time to be able to, to leave, um, to feel like, okay, I can leave. Um, we were driving down Oak Hill Road and we saw the sign for this building. They hadn't even been in this building for about a, less than a year. We saw the sign that says Faith Bible Church. I didn't notice the sign, actually. Mary Beth did. I saw the building. That was the first thing I saw. And it was, looked like Mary Beth's parents' church up in northern Indiana. I was like, look at that church. She says, yeah. She was looking at the sign. I was looking at the building. Anyway, uh, she says, hey, if they put Bible in the name, I bet they use it. And uh, I was like... Maybe, I hope so. Uh, so I don't know if it was that next Sunday or when. It was very soon after that. I said, well, let's give it a try. We had no idea. Nothing. We knew nothing about the church except for the sign. Um, and it was very interesting. We came here and the <laughs> newly married, we'd only been married about a year, walk in the front door and this lady comes up about my age, comes and gives me a hug. And Mary was like, what is happening that you, like, why is she, she and I and her sister had gone to high school together. I'd known her for a very long time. I didn't know they attended this church. So anyway, um, that is, that's how we got to this church was just, just seeing the sign, seeing the name um, that, I mean, the internet was around, but that we didn't think about, or at least I didn't necessarily um, look, Googling and looking for it, listening to some sermons and things like that. I'm sure we could have done that, but uh, we never even got to that point, really. This was the first church we tried, and we, we stayed. Um, I was a little bit, uh, I'll talk about that later. Uh, I can, I'll tell about that in another class. But uh, anyway, there's a good bit to consider when choosing a church. Um, and, and so when you look at America, people are moving all the time. You know, they're, they're moving for jobs, they're moving for families, they're moving for just wh whatever they want to do. And so if you are a Christian and that is happening, you've got you've to learn to evaluate a church and determine what's the church that we're going to attend. Um, and so how do, we, how do we evaluate that? What are the things that we look for in a church? Well, um, I think one of the things that we, we need to do is how do we determine if we are evaluating a church and we're saying, okay, here are the things that I want in a church, here are the things that I need in a church, here are the things I want, right? Then how do you determine if that church is healthy church? Um, in the book, What is a Healthy Church, that I pointed out, I forgot to bring that with me, Mark Dever suggests nine distinguishing marks of a healthy church 
Over the years, he's um, refined and revamped that a bit. Um, He's combined some chapters. Um, That is a shortened version of his bigger book that's called Nine Marks of a Healthy Church, which he's revamped and uh, refined over time as well. He's combined some things. He's kind of changed some things. If you really break it down in the nine marks, if you take out the sum that he's combined and break those out, it's actually at like 11 um, different distinguishing marks. And he's clear that these certainly are not, only, are not the only attributes of a healthy church. Um, he even goes so far to say that they may not even necessarily be the most important thing that can be said about a church. But it is marks that we would want to see in a church that is healthy. Uh, If you have a healthy church, these marks are the ones that should be in there. So today we are diving into that first mark of a healthy church, expositional preaching. Expositional preaching um, is not only the first mark, but far and away, I would say, um, and Mark Dever says it as well in his book, that uh, it is the far and away the most important part. If you get the, this mark right, the others should follow it. They should fall in line with that. So if this one's happening, these others should come in place. The, if you had all these other marks without expositional preaching, I think it would be an accident. It'd just be kind of dumb luck that we got those right, but they probably wouldn't be as healthy and as good without this expositional preaching. Now, I wasn't around when, well, I was around. I just wasn't part of when this church was started. Um, but I know um, that it was very, in, quite intentional the way they named this church. Those few families were unsatisfied, like um, Deb told us, with what they were seeing in the churches here uh, at that time. And they decided to start a church. And um, they felt that a church needed to be here that would establish the priority of God's word. Um, and so one of the ways to, to determine that is to put it, put it in the name. If we're going to put it in the name, we're going we're gonna to hold to that, hopefully. That's the goal. Um, this is the single most important aspect of a church's life, is the centrality of God's word. If God's word is the foundation, if it's central, if it is preeminent in the life of the church, then growing healthy is virtually assured because God has decided to act by his spirit through his word. Now, expositional preaching. How would you all define expositional preaching? If I use that word and you've used that word before, how would you define that? This, I'm not going to judge you, so don't worry if you... Any ideas? If I say I want to find a church that uses expositional preaching, how, what are you looking for? Mm-hmm. Preaching straight from the Bible. That's good. Okay, so starting at one uh, a book and going through it. Okay, that's good. What else? How else would we look at that? Or do you look at it? I missed that. Okay, yeah, that's really good. Yeah, what was, what was meant for the, the, the readers or the listeners, mostly, um, uh, when that was uh, in that time? And then what, how does that apply to us now? You know, it's usually contrasted against topical preaching. Topical preaching is topic-based. Um, it could be based on Scripture, uh, but the idea is taking a subject and then 
talking about that subject. Expositional preaching takes a particular text of the Bible as its subject. A topical sermon starts with the preacher choosing a matter that he wants to preach about. And these can be all kinds of things. There can be any number. It could be biblical things, holiness, prayer, injustice, parenting. You know, any of these types of things can be the ideas or the subject matter of that sermon. But once the topic is set, the pastor then collects various uh, passages or parts of the Bible and combines them into illustrations and anecdotes. Mark Dever in uh, Nine Marks of a Healthy Church, he says, expositional preaching is not simply producing verbal commentary on some passage of Scripture. Rather, expositional preaching is preaching that takes for the point of a sermon the point of a particular passage of Scripture. That's it. The preacher opens the Word and unfolds it for the people of God. That is not what we're doing here in Sunday school in the adult Christian education class, but it is what Bryce normally intends to do when he steps into the pulpit on Sunday. Expositional preaching is presuming a belief in the authority of Scripture. Our newcomers class, which is our membership class that we have here, um, those materials define the authority of Scripture like this. It's very short. It says, what, it, what the Bible says to you, God says to you. That's the authority of Scripture. If you're reading it, what it says, it's, that's what God is saying to you. So when we say we practice expositional preaching here at FBC, we're saying that we believe the Bible is actually God's Word. Now, when we're talking about church health and expositional preaching, it's more than the preacher committed to the authority of Scripture and expositional preaching. It's more than just Bryce up here or whoever is at this pulpit preaching. But it's also a commitment to hear God's Word. I don't mean just listen to it. Any of us can do that. I remember a line from a movie, White Men Can't Jump. Now, I don't remember much about the movie, so it, don't take this as a recommendation. But I do remember one of the characters, he was saying this about Jimi Hendrix. And so the white men can't jump. So it's talking a lot about the differences between black people and white people and how they, they, the cultural differences. And so the guy that's saying this is black talking to a white guy. And he goes, look, look man, you can listen to Jimmy, but you can't hear him. There's a difference, man. Just because you're listening to him doesn't mean that you're hearing him. It's... it's funny. But anyway, it's, we aren't just listening to the preaching. It's not just getting those words into our ears and our brain um, and just saying, well, yep, that's God's word. But if we're truly engaged with the preaching, the expositional preaching, the preacher and the congregation are committing to actually submitting to what we're hearing, submitting to God's word, a preacher should have his mind increasingly shaped by Scripture. If he's doing that, and we in the congregation listening to these sermons, hearing them, are responsibly submitting to the Word, then we're well on our way to being a healthy church. Preaching should almost always be expositional. There is a time and a place for topical sermons. But the life of a church, the way we church, should be characterized by expositional preaching. It should be this way because the Bible needs to be at the heart, the center of directing the church. 
God has chosen to leave us his word, and his word brings life. And that's the pattern we see in scripture and in history. Now, I've got four points um, that I want to consider that show the centrality of God's word and what it does for our church. First is the role of the word in bringing us life. Then the role of God's word in preaching. The role of the word in sanctifying us. And the role of uh, a the role a preacher of God's word should have in the church. So let's talk about that first role. The role of the word in bringing us life. In the beginning, God spoke. His word brought life. It actually brought everything, all of everything here. It is through God's words, just by speaking, that he brought creation into existence. Adam and Eve were able to walk with God in the cool of the day. They were with him. And then Genesis 3 comes. Sin enters the world. This messes everything up. And now Adam and Eve are thrown out of the Garden of Eden. But do you know, or do you realize, what was the first bit of hope that Adam and Eve received? It was when God tells the serpent that the woman's offspring will crush the serpent. There's hope in that, and it's God's word saying that. Genesis 12, we see God's word calling Abram, later will be called Abraham, who will be, um, he calls him out of, the Ur, out of Ur of the Chaldeans. The word of God's promises recorded in those first few verses in Genesis 12. He says, Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation. And I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. And him who dishonors you, I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. This is God's people created. They became visible by the word of promise and responding to it, by coming out after it. Abraham trusted God. He heard his word and he responded to it and God blessed it. As the Old Testament goes, we see the children of Abraham expanding into the promised land, went down into Egypt, and we know what happens, right? They um, are captured into slavery for centuries. And when it seems like it's never going to end, God's word comes to Moses through a burning bush. He calls out to Moses. Next, after that we see God giving his law to his people. And by accepting his law, they became his people. It was by God's word that the people of Israel were constituted as God's special people. And we see throughout the Old Testament the word of the Lord, God's word coming to the people and doing many wonderful things. It gives them life or new life. This phrase, the word of the Lord came or its equivalence occurs more than 3,800 times in the Old Testament. 
It doesn't ever come and nothing happen. It isn't ever that the word of the Lord came and that's it. The word of, the came, the word of God came with power and with action. It moved people. It changed people. It takes out hearts of stone and gives them hearts of flesh. It makes people into new people. In Ezekiel 37, it's recorded the vision Ezekiel received from God. He's looking out over this valley that is full of dead, dry bones. So in this vision, Ezekiel looks out over this valley. He sees it's full of dead, dry bones. And God tells him, prophesy to these bones. And what will happen is these bones will then come together. They'll form into bodies. As you're prophesying, then skin and tendons and all these things will come together. So Ezekiel in this vision does this. That's what happens. They all come together. God tells him again to prophesy over them. And out of his word comes breath and gives them life, which becomes this army. And they stand up just by speaking. God's word bringing life, that was a picture of what that does. Toward the beginning of his ministry here on earth, Christ's disciples came to him and said the people wanted him to do more than miracles and to heal people. They wanted him to do more of that. They wanted him to do more miracles, more, more healing. And Christ's response in Mark 1 was, um, hey, let's go somewhere else so I can preach. He wanted to speak This is why I have come, was his response, to preach. Of course, Christ knew that he was going to lay down his life, but in order for that to be understood, he first had to teach. He had to give them his word. Now, God, Christ, doesn't just speak. He acts, and that is for sure. But we know God and what he does by his word. Think about this. How you know people. Talk on the telephone. People don't do that so much anymore. But when you're talking on the telephone, you recognize people's voices. I have, uh, my wife calls me. If I didn't see it, I hear her voice. I know that's my wife. My boys call me. I was just talking with a guy the other day. Uh, He's a fellow pilot. We were talking about um, how things used to be um, at the airport there. And there's a guy, another pilot, John, that we both know. And um, he used to try and find out what was happening here. He, he was a different part. So he would call and pretend to be somebody else trying to get this information. And every time we answered the phone, we knew it was John. It was clear from his voice. We recognized it. It was like, John, if you want to know, just come ask us. You don't have to pretend to be somebody else. I recognize my wife's voice. I recognize my children's voice by hearing them. But I know them by by the conversations we have. It isn't that I just recognize, but it's by what we're speaking and saying to each other, these conversations. I can watch somebody from afar. I can watch them. And I can get an idea of what kind of a person that they are, but just a small piece. But I know people 
because we communicate using our words, and God has chosen to do that with us as well. So, like, take the gospel. Romans 10, 17 says, So faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. The word of Christ is the greatest message, the great message of the gospel. And just before this, can you read that? Okay. Oh, it's cut off again. I'll just read. Listen to, listen to what I'm saying. You'll hear it. There you go. Just before this, we see Paul writing in Romans 10, 9. He says, If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. How can we confess and believe something like that unless we have heard it? Or Hebrews 1, 1 through 2. Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he, he, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. As believers, we are on this side of glory, which means that faith is central. And so the word must be central because God's Holy Spirit creates his people by his word. We can create a people around all kinds of things. We can create a people around a common hobby. Um, we can create a people around men's groups or a, create a people around a recovery group. We can create a people around a service project. But in the end, the people of God, the church of God, can only be created around and by the word of God. Now let's look at that second point, the role of God's word in preaching. We're talking about expositional preaching here. So what is the role of the word in preaching? In this other class upstairs, Bob is teaching on 1 Corinthians. And if you were to look at 1 Corinthians chapters 11 through 14, you would see the, most, or the longest section in the New Testament on what the Christian gathering should look like. We see that Paul's telling the Corinthians that these things must be done for the strengthening of the church. In this list, he's telling what they should be doing. This is done for the strengthening of the church. And it would follow the standard being laid out for our strengthening and edification would be applied to what we have said, which is centrally the, uh, to the Christian congregation, preaching. What is being said, what is central, must be preaching. What edifies you and me the most? It has to be teaching that exposes God's word to God's people. If you travel overseas, Europe and other places, I haven't done this, but I've seen uh, people write about this, I've seen these pictures, um, you'll find these big, beautiful, ornate churches and cathedrals. They'll have this incredible architecture. Typically, they're like super high ceilings, very ornate things on the sides. They'll have this artwork that's really displaying the skills God has gifted some people with. And a number of those churches will be places where some of the great uh, Christian pastors that we love and admire have preached in those churches. These churches have these sanctuaries where the pulpit is built into the structure and it is central in that room. It's that everything is pointing or facing toward that pulpit. 
it's almost as if the room is built around it, as if they built the pulpit and the building around it. I don't think they did, but, but I, that's what almost is where it seems. And the idea is that what is happening at that pulpit is of utmost importance. We, they're wanting to make sure that anyone in this building are listening, hearing, able to hear what is happening from that pulpit. Think about Moses, whose job was to teach the people the law. And then you go on to Josiah or Ezra. It's this pattern of teaching God's word as the central point or focus of the gathering of God's people. I could go on and on about that, but I just lack time on that. I must move on. But I, I hope we all can agree that it is good to preach the truth. But I believe it is even better that the preaching happen in such a way that people can see where they can get that truth. In Acts, we read about the Bereans. Now, on one hand, you could look at the Bereans and go, oh, they couldn't even trust the apostles? Oh, the arrogance of those people. But in reality, they're praised for what they did. Because what they're saying is, we're hearing you preach something. Let's go to God's word and make sure what you're saying lines up with that. We should be doing that too. We are thankful for the expositional preaching, but we, we live in America where we have God's word. We should be examining is what's being preached lining up with what God's word says. Those Bereans were praised for their discernment and their wisdom when they're, they're hearing the gospel and God's word and testing it against the scriptures. You know, our preaching needs to be consistent and not haphazard or random. Another quote from Mark Dever, who he's quoting this man, Francis Grimke, who I don't know, uh, but he says, this Francis Grimke, as a general thing, it is always best for a minister to take a text or portion of Scripture and stick to it, endeavoring faithfully to get out of it all there is in it or so much of it as he wishes to use at that particular time. In this way, there will be variety in his preaching and growth in his knowledge of the Word of God. Merely to make a text as a hook upon which to string a number of unconnected things is not a wise thing to do. The next point is the role of the Word in sanctifying us. And I'm not going to spend a ton of time on this, mainly because so much of the rest of this class is going to address this. Um, so much of what we are going, the different topics that we're going to hit on are going to be talking about our sanctification. But what I will say is that as we've established, God's word is used to save us. It is the good news, but it doesn't just end there. I, I've said this a number of times. I used to think that. Well, you got the gospel. I'm so thankful for the gospel. It saved me. Now I'm going to put it on the shelf and go on with my Christian walk. But the gospel needs to be in everyday life. It needs to be in everything. 
the gospel not only saves us, but it affects us. It affects every area of our lives. Jesus, when being tempted by Satan, he tells him, man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Psalm 119, 105, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. Jesus also said in his high priestly prayer, sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. We need God's word to be saved, but we need it to continually challenge and shape us. It doesn't only save us, it is molding and shaping us. You've heard that we are the clay and he is the potter. God is doing that through his word. And there's other areas he's doing that, but it starts with his word. We must hear God's word, not just listen to it, but hear it. Hearing it is meditating on it. We remember it. We apply it. We do what it says. We discuss it with others. We, we ponder it. And in all of that, we are submitting to its power and authority. And when we do that, God does great work in us. Now, the final point about expositional preaching is, let's talk about the role of the preacher of God's word. Philippians 2.16 calls the word, the word of life. The great task of the preacher is to hold out the word of life to the people who need it for their souls. There are people or churches who are saying, we need to, we need to update, we need to revamp the way church is going, the way church is done. They're saying we need more tech or more involvement from the listener. Saying things like less monologue and um, more dialogue Less one person up front talking to the group. Let's get some videos. Let's, let's do this where it's more interactive. And I gotta be honest, I believe there is something right and good with the way that we do preaching. I would even say it is appropriate to have one person at the pulpit talking to us from God's word. In one, in one aspect, we have an anti-authority culture where everyone is right in their own eyes. And it's not just culture. We see that in Scripture. We as humans have that, right? We're, everyone believes we're, we're right in our own eyes. And, but we look at today, everyone is confused and confusing each other. So to have one person stand before us and with the authority of God's word, with the skill and giftedness that God has given them, teach us God's word, I believe is right. Mark Dever says the sermon is monologue, one person speaking with others sitting with mouths closed and ears open is both accurate and a powerful symbol of our spiritual state. One person speaking God's word, reading it, explaining it, illustrating and applying it for the benefit of the hearers, that is a depiction of God's self-disclosure and our salvation being a gift. I could say so much more about this, but you can hold the actual words of God 
in your hands. You can hear the actual word of God preached. You can understand it. You can apply it. In Nine Marks of a Healthy Church, he uses an example. We all have email. Many of us live and die by email in our jobs. And you recognize, you get so many emails, there's a few of them you scan down, like I can reply later, reply later, reply later. Oh, this is from the boss, I gotta reply now. And we'll get to this later, this later, blah, blah, blah. How would we, his example is, what would we do if we got an email from God? We say, I'll get to that later. Skim through it. And we'd, we'd, we'd immediately get to it. So when we structure our day and our time, are we structuring it around God's word and making sure that we are ingesting that and keeping that? If that is of utmost importance to us, how much should it be in our church as well? on a Sunday morning when we're gathering with believers. Let's be thankful that we attend a church that holds, God, holds God's word in its highest esteem and preaches it expositionally each week.